This is the Future of Security Operations podcast brought to you by Tynes. This show is dedicated to empowering SecOps leaders to reimagine how their teams work so they can scale their security efforts and build a team that achieves more with less. In each episode, we'll learn from a security leader who has found a way to free their team from tedious manual tasks and remove the barriers that are preventing them from doing high value strategic work that truly matters. We'll learn from their mistakes, distill their best practices, and leave you with actionable insights that you can immediately put to work with your team. I'm your host, Thomas Kinsler, COO and co-founder of Tynes. Now, let's jump right into today's show. Hi, everyone, and thanks for listening to another episode of the Future of Security Operations podcast. Today, I'm speaking with the field CISO of Lacework, uh, Andy Schneider. Thanks for joining with me today, Andy. Hey, Thomas. Thanks for inviting me. And it's super cool being here. Um, before we dive into your uh, your career, before we dive into uh, some of the work you do at Lacework, I want to touch just a tiny bit on your career before becoming a field CISO. You spent a long time being a defender. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what you uh, what you did as a defender uh, before joining Lacework? So actually, it started more than 20 years ago. So I started at a bank before the first certifications for like ISO came out and the bank. Um, so I was working on mainframes. So really old fashioned uh, computer technology. And they were looking for a security officer for all these central mainframe services. And all my colleagues stepped back and I stepped forward. I thought, oh, this is cool. This is sounds fun. Even if I didn't know what, what this really means. So it was an accident ending up in security, but it started, uh, directly when I started working. And from there on, I then afterwards, I joined uh, a large outsourcer in, in Europe, that's T-Systems International. So I, I did large outsourcings for, for enterprise uh, service and everything. And I was some kind of the customer single point of contact for all security deliverables. Um, then I moved to Switzerland um, with my wife, and um, I joined uh, the Swiss broadcasting company, so a little bit like the BBC of Switzerland, okay. and build up the security there. And it's in, let's say, a live uh, environment, so where you have like video live broadcasting, and they have completely different challenges. So everything that you put in between interrupts. Uh, and if you are, we, we just had the, the, the football uh, World Cup. And, and if your colleagues are already crying because someone won the World Cup and you still wait for the penalty, uh, then that's bad. So I learned a lot about, let's say, um, environments that are very sensitive to any interruption. Then I joined the largest private media company in Switzerland that has like, 20 different digital companies underneath that are born in the cloud. So there I did DevSecOps, XDR, Zero Trust Architecture, all that fancy new technologies and trends that come up. Um, and then I joined Lacework. I'm a former Lacework customer. So I was so excited about the technology and thought um, I could go into another role of a CISO. So doing the same on the defender side or really try to help uh, a defender technology be even better. Um, so um, I, I did that step and now I'm trying to help customers 
and maybe customers to be around the world uh, on their journey, either to the cloud or in the cloud. I'll ask a little bit about a little bit more about that later. But what was it about security that I suppose got you got you hooked? What was it that said actually this is an area that I want to stick in, especially so especially like 20, over twenty years that you've uh, that you've stuck with it. Yeah, so I'm uh, I'm a gamer. Or I was a gamer, so I love strategic games like Civilization and all these things, or nice. uh, really these uh, non-computer games like Risk. It's one called Just Risk. Um, so yeah, I, yeah, I know really well. Yeah, I, I love them. So it ruins and, my friendships, but it's uh, <laughs> it's a great game. <laughs> it's a great game. Yeah. So um, I like these this uh, feeling of that unsecurity actually mm -hmm. so you don't know what what might happen so in in games like civilization you explore so there's a lot of exploration phase what you do and as soon as you think you're good if you are attacked or, or if something happens it's for me it's it feels like i'm in a game back into a game so i feel very comfortable if uh I was in, in situations like large attacks or APT attacks. So it, it was always like, for me, uh, a pure focus, and I really enjoyed it. And pulling the right strings and trying to maneuver out of the incidents and then afterwards getting even better. So I love this. So it's really, um, for me, it never was like, this is my work and I have private life. It was always like my absolute I just absolutely enjoyed what I did. Well, you certainly found uh, found found your calling in security. If you don't, <laughs> if you don't consider incidents like hard work, it's uh, that's uh, that that's something else. Yeah. It's yeah, it's a uh, it's it's a huge privilege. But one thing that everybody in security is able to do, they're definitely able to uh, able to learn a lot. That the field is constantly changing, it's constantly growing, and yeah. I suppose over your career, you've seen you've seen that like that evolution. You touched on like the the shift from so self hosted or native to cloud but so how, how have you seen the security world evolve over the last 20 years i mean i i i did that at, at a couple of uh, conferences i said this uh, similar thing so security derived from the military so mm -hmm. if you look at the first security standards also the, let's say the orange book or rainbow series you have these very military driven approach so you have like this uh, central CISO or a security role that almost dictates how security should look like. And this is then, you have this pure top-down approach, you have a security policy. We speak of controls. I mean, even the language of a control is, if I, if I tell my kids, uh, so I have two kids, two and seven, and say, hey, this is our new control framework that you have to adhere to, they would not love to spend time with me. So I think this is what changed. Security came out of a military approach. Mm -hmm. Banking and others, they took over this very military approach. And by the way, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing having that in a military environment. But if you talk to developers that work in a, in a DevOps or agile environment, this is totally not working. So I think... What really happens is, and the cloud is just speeding it up, but it's that shift to DevOps and to another way of doing things. And security is one thing. So we have to change our language in security. We have to accept that we can't dictate, but have to do things differently. We have 
we we can't look and approve every single project so we really have to find new ways new methodologies to um do security in a new way i, I usually compare it with with my kids so like i said if i say these are the new controls you may not claim climb up uh, it might work as long as i look at them if i turn my back on them they they, they will climb up so another approach would be to say you can climb up i'm i'm down here if something happens i'm here so learn how to climb securely so i like the second approach better so if they learn how to climb securely up and down well then as a ciso it's a great great job if if my departments teams if they are able to do security in their way um but they do it they achieve it in a secure way then I've done the best job even if I don't achieve a tick in the box for that one control. You're also scaling your security t- team or you go a lot further that way if you're using that kind of decentralized model then exactly. uh, hiring a hundred security analysts to tell people no you're not allowed yeah. uh, you're not not allowed to do that. Do you think this this approach works for everyone or is there certain security teams that this so this decentralized approach works best for? Or certain security teams, certain companies, I suppose, that this approach works best for. It's it's a very cultural thing. So if you mm-hmm. have, you can't make, let's say, a decentralized security operation, however you you name it. But I, I use that term. You can't implement that in a company where you have everything driven top down. So I think it needs to the company needs to have a decentralized culture. Then it works. And usually companies that uh, are born in the cloud or use heavy cloud, a lot of DevOps there, it usually works. How do you see this approach changing the role of the CISO or changing the, like, their responsibilities? Yeah, the, for me, the CISO is more like an enabler. Or, okay. So it, it turns out, so still you are overall accountable for security. So you should. So you should add some kind of board level, you should have someone um, being accountable for security specifically. But then from from a leadership perspective, uh, I think the role of a CISO is to make everyone or enable everyone doing the right things from a security perspective. And usually you don't have the the DevOps engineers, uh, developers, uh, they usually have a little bit of security sense. There are some that are really good in security, but they might lack some skills. So as a CISO, you need to find out where's the where's the skill gap and skill them up. And sometimes if you can't skill them up, then you need maybe central people for that. Then you might hire an AppSec expert, for example, that helps them. Um, but I prefer to really strongly decentralize it. And then from a CISO's perspective, trying to, it's still the work that you need to find out where are our gaps? Where do I have to focus on? Um, Can I see the risks? So this is still the same, but the operational part I think is changing completely. So things like a SOC, you might still have it, but in a decentralized way. So I believe that DevOps is doing the SOC in the future. So from a security perspective, a lot of things change. If you zoom out, it, it, it looks the same. If you zoom in, you just do things differently. Yeah, I, I, I completely understand. And we've seen like times you've got a lot of customers that are doing that uh, are using this model, which is fab. 
do you think it helps deal with any of the challenges of like talent shortage and security right now, where it's really hard to attract, really hard to retain and really hard to, to make sure that you're getting the most out of them. You're shifting left a long way, but yeah, does it, does it help with, uh, yeah, making your company more secure for, for cheaper, I suppose. Yes, absolutely. So I did that in my last company. So, nice. um, so we teach centralized. I, I never said it officially, but I, I I knew that I can't find the security experts that I need. So we had like here in Zurich, you have the EMEA headquarter of Google, and then you have like TX Group nearby, but you never can compete with them. So we had like free apples. That's it. So not computers, but just apples. So that's it. So um. And I know that it's difficult to find developers, but developers are easier to find than security experts and still a little bit cheaper. So um, that's the one reason why I believe it, it can help with a talent shortage. But the other reason is also I spend a lot of time with developers. And from a security perspective, I think security people need to listen what they have to say. Yeah, because they are really, they are brilliant people. So I usually came in with my security mindset, but I tried to listen and then I learned more usually from them. So I think they are the right ones. It's the same like SRE. SRE is something in DevOps. It's very close to things that we do in security. Um, and it's good that it's there. Also, a product owner should own the product, not without security. The product owner owns the product. So I think with that, new ways, it's much easier to do security decentralized and developers are good in that, at least so, for the first line of defense. Uh, yeah. Of course. Yeah. And like, it's not, yeah, it's not saying you don't have to whatever, like yeah. purchase an EDO or something like that, but, uh, but it, it does mean that, yeah, you're, you're, so you're enabling your team to, to move faster. I really like your, um, your analogy that, that you mentioned earlier of like allowing your kids to, to climb and then fall, because it feels like we all know at this point that security has to be a partner to the business and can't just be saying no, but it really does feel that you're enabling those engineers who are doing smart work to to take on those decisions of like, actually, this is the right way to do it and work with them to say, actually, this is how you, this is how you can do it security, but you're yeah. not, for, you're not saying no, you're saying, actually, I'm able to, security is enabling the top line as well as the bottom line. Now we're, we're helping you build something more secure rather than just saying, no, figure out another way of doing it uh, or yeah. blocking something from going into uh, going into production. Yeah, absolutely. I want to keep on touching on that, 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 that role of the CISO then when you're starting out as a CISO, and I know some people are, they're, they're unsure if people need CISOs in, uh, in, in certain roles or when, when to hire them or what, what they call to hire. But do you think that that changes the, I suppose the job profile that people should be looking for or like companies should be looking for? Uh, or do you think that's still like, actually, Hey, we need a CISO immediately again. I mean, I think, I still think that you need someone uh, like a security leader. Okay. Um, yeah. The title of a CISO is the right title, but the C in it means that you're part of that executive team. If you are part of, you should be part of an executive team as a CISO. If you are not, then you're not a CISO, then you're a security officer, full stop. Um, so I think it's good to have on the executive level, someone being accountable in the CISO is a good one, but it's more a matter of the size of the organization. So if you really need a dedicated person for that. Uh, what I believe is uh, what the CISOs need to understand. If you are part of that executive team, you need to speak their language and understand the business. So you need to read the, if you are like in a public company, you should understand your financial reports, your yearly reports. Yeah. If you don't understand the financials, 
uh, it will be really difficult to talk to them. So you need to to understand the dynamic and mechanics of a company, what brings really business value, what is the worth of marketing, what's the worth of sales to understand what is your value from a security perspective. And so the security leader needs to be more like a security business leader somewhere, needs to understand the business partner with the business enable that the business understands you are enabling them doing the right thing and being more competitive or whatever. And then you need to be able to break that down to that DevSecOps and so on. So it's it's a very challenging role. But today I think um, only few companies are really doing that good. Yeah, exactly. And like as a CISO, your role has to be, yeah, like making sure that you're enabling the CEO to to make as much money as possible with security as well. Um I, I want to touch on uh I suppose touch a little bit on lacework. It's a huge compliment to Lacework that both a customer joined, but also that you, you know, moved from practitioner a little bit into a little bit into industry. What made you decide to make that make that jump? Actually, I, I always loved working together with bleeding edge technologies. I'm, mm-hmm. I love technology, so not just security. I I just really love that. And um, when when we introduced uh, Lacework, protecting our main um, news platforms. So my, my goal was always we want to be the, the most secure media company in the world. So I really was very ambitious about that. So so I picked a couple of tools where I believed these might work and that are really helping with the DevSecOps cycle. Mm-hmm. So in the end, we we let I, I put in a couple of vendors. So I, I left out the cloud security. So we, we did EDR, Zero Trust Architecture, XDR, a lot of things. But I left out the cloud security until the end because I felt that this this area is still not mature enough from a technology point of view. Mm-hmm. When we introduced Lacework and a couple of other vendors, I I asked our developer teams, so the DevOps, to choose the winner. So which tool is most developer friendly so that they actually really use it? One challenge that they had was they already got alarms from other systems. And if you send security people 50 alarms a day, that's great. Um, They might love it. That's their work. If you send 50 alarms to developers, they hate you. They won't won't, uh, have lunch with you anymore, nothing. So they decided to, to choose Lacework. That's one thing. So I was their voice was more important than my voice, even if I thought that's a great tool. It really looks, we did not do much. And when I asked our developers why, there were a couple of reasons. But what I found out is we didn't have a much onboarding time. So if you roll out EDR, just as an example, it's a great, te- great te- technology, whatever vendor you use, but it takes a lot of time to install it even on developer clients. So mm-hmm. it can take a year until you get 100% coverage. Uh, with cloud security tools, it should just be plug and play. Mm-hmm. It usually is not, but in, in, in that case, it was plug and play and it just worked. And what, where I was impressed, it just worked. And then when I dig deeper, why did it work is that machine learning approach. And this really caught me. I I thought, okay, I've seen machine learning a lot in different like CM tools and it never worked. But in this case, it really worked. And uh, yeah, I I fell in love with the machine learning. 
down there, I would say. Because if you really make full use of machine learning, I think this is one of the challenges we have. We, we have more and more data. Infrastructures are mm -hmm. scaling up and up. It's, it's becoming really hard to treat uh, uh, security with rules. Mm -hmm. Because there might be one environment where it's totally normal that people have like five failed logins. In other environments, it might be 10. In the next environment, one. So the, the generic rules that we have in security, they, 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 they leave out too many, um, too many ways in, or they don't catch the right things, or you have too many false positives. And with machine learning, if you really look at all data, you can really uh, and make a, a correct baselining. You're able to really identify the misbehaviors in there. So this was for me the, the most interesting. So a technology that is able to catch that over uh, several cloud environments. I thought, okay, this is really interesting. So then I looked into the company. Uh, I met uh, I met a couple of peoples, and actually, it's also the brilliant people that work there. So as a CISO in a, a, if you are in a company, you're usually quite alone. So you're, mm -hmm. you're the, the lone ranger, the only one really taking care of security. Uh, if you, if, when I joined the other side was really like, there are so many brilliant security people where I can learn from them. So this is for me uh, an one time in a life chance to really also grow personally, but also bringing that CISO perspective into the company with all the experience I have. Culture is such an important aspect to building, building a company, building a brand. Uh, and if you're able to find a place that, yeah, whose culture matches your philosophy, it's a, it's a, it's a fab opportunity. And um, I suppose uh, as part of that, your role is also you're you know a field CISO. You're heavily involved in the community and in like promoting security culture more generally. How do you, I suppose, how do you find that? How do you find the the aspect of going out and talking about uh, talking about security and being uh, just trying to influence the people to change their behaviors and to to become better security practitioners? So this already started before I joined Lacework. So um, it was we always uh, so at TX Group security was like a part of our employer brand. So okay. it's it's like. Um, it's secured. If you have good security, you usually also have good technology. Mm -hmm. um, you can have good technology, but usually then you don't, uh, you might also have good security. So we used like, um, you could say, we used security also for brand awareness. And um, I was like, I was like the advocate for modern security. So one example is we, when we started bug bounty programs, and then went public with the bug bounty programs. This was used by our own media companies. Hey, look, we we uh, every researcher in the world, every hacker in the world may hack us, and if they are able to do that, we pay them money for that. And and that's actually there. There you are in the league of like uh, Google or others. So this is this is a fancy topic. But if you do bug bounty programs, you also have to do all the rest. So you shouldn't do that without yeah. uh, having SaaS scanning, cloud security, and everything in place. So this was a win-win. So for for from the outside perspective, everyone saw this is like the, the different media brands, they're really good. So this is where I built up the community, and I think people don't talk enough about security. So I started talking about that, and so my community was growing, 
it's still growing very fast. And then people reach out to me and ask me questions. Um, how can we get better? And I think if we would use that much more, there would be more people out there talking more about what they achieve with security. But I also had a lot of failures. Yeah. I, I like talking about the failures. That's, that's where we learn most. So, um, and, and this is, This is what I do at Lacework all the time. So I try to help all the people out there on their journey to, to a better, let's say, more modern cloud security. So do you have any particular like failures in mind? Anything that you're like, hey, this is a, this is a particular challenge that, uh, that I felt and this is how I learned from it? I mean, there are a couple of them. Uh, I would take like, uh, let's take two of them. The first one yeah. was at that bank in the very early days, uh, the very beginning. And I was scripting in Rex, that's a mainframe language, like shell scripting there. And uh, I wanted to restart the, the test system. And then people got very nervous around me because I, I, I did not restart the test systems, but brought down uh, all the banks, the core banking systems in Bavaria. So no ATM, nothing worked anymore. Everyone was super nervous. And I thought, okay, this is taking way too long. And then I looked at the system names and I more or less um, brought down the whole production. So I think you should do that one time in a life to learn yeah. why there is some something like a 4i principle or whatever to, to look uh, specifically, is it the right, the right system where I'm on? So mm -hmm. this was the one failure made me famous there. Um, and the second one was, I thought, uh, when I was at, uh, at TX Group, I thought, okay, um, let's decentralize security and the product owners are the ones, these are the key people I have to convince. So I, I thought, let's do a product security coffee. I invited around, I think it was 50 product owners of the different products that were there, had like croissants, coffee and everything. And one guy showed up. The only one one guy showed up, and so I said, "Okay, you may leave when you when when you have eaten all the all the croissants. We have to eat 50 croissants." But there, I learned, okay, sometimes it's just not working, but that's okay. So uh, then I th then I tried different ways. So the product owners at that time were not the right target for me, and they were totally not interested in security. So I tried different ways. What are some of the lessons you've like learned from that? How do you how do you approach trying to bring people on the journey with you? You talked a little bit about this with bringing DevOps folks uh, in. I suppose if you're thinking about like setting up that bug bounty program, how do you sell that big vision to to the like the product team or the engineering team to say like, hey, here's where we want to go in security. Here's what's so important. So there are different ways to do that. Um, what, on different ways work. So one is if there had been an incident, it's easy. And you have, yeah. let's say, that window of opportunity, as long as, as it's fresh, you have to exploit that vulnerability, uh, this, this incident. So mm -hmm. really throw everything in. Um, I think the important thing that I al already had in my mind was that big picture. So this is how she security should look like for this specific product. And then... Waiting for an incident, sometimes it never happens. So it's not good uh, to rely on that. But if it happens, you have to place the right puzzle pieces that bring you further on your journey. The second is I usually partnered up with a good pen test firm that are really good in writing zero-day exploits, so really nasty things, but they are really good in that. So I usually said to them, rip this thing apart 
um, you have like one week, destroy it, um, exploit everything that you find. And then afterwards we show them how good or how bad it really is. Um, and like there is this, no engineer wants, it's like if you build a plane, you don't want the plane to crash. So there is that intrinsic motivation. You want to have, build a good product. So, and usually something like that, it's, it's negative, but this is working. From a positive perspective, um, it's something, it's like these uh, go-see principle from Toyota. So I usually uh, sit together with the engineering teams and listen. I ask a couple of questions and just listen. And usually I try to ask, tell me about your product. What are you building? Because everyone is proud of what, what, what they are doing. So they are proud of what they are building. And then I try to find out is security in there. Um, the second thing, if you do that, uh, then you can define something like, hey, so my, uh, I love your product. Um, I, the, the thing I'd, I'd love to see is having a public bug bounty program running that is more or less promoting your product. This is what Google is doing. So you can be as awesome as Google or Facebook or the others. So you can be super cool. Um, and then I usually wait because you see that in, in, in you see that in the eyes. So then then things are, are working. They all realize, then, whoa, there's a lot of stuff we have to do. Yeah, then then they then uh, I remember one meeting where they said, hey, we can't do that. We even don't scan our code. And I thought, oh, what do you need to scan your code? So then <laughs> why, why don't you do that? I can help you with that. And they said, well, we don't have the budget. And say, okay, here's the budget. And then they are part of the solution. So if they come up with a solution, you have the, the full buy-in. And sometimes this is the best approach. Um, but there are developer teams where it's absolutely not working, where you have to dictate it. But for most of them, I would say, listening to them, what they have built, how they do that, and uh, finding out where they are really proud of what they have built, then defining something like a lighthouse, like a bug bounty program that is related to security. And usually they are not able to do that or saying, okay, why don't we do use like the chaos monkeys like Netflix did that a couple of years ago. So like randomly killing our regions away and then they, we, we even don't run it multi-region. Then, okay, then you can... But they start thinking what is missing and what is the best. And then you can go in and say, okay, I help you with that. Then you are in an enabler position. If you help them, you are their hero. Um, with budget, with uh, stakeholders, uh, with the board, with the business, whatever. This is then your job really to unblock them. Doing the security they thought is the right thing, but actually it was your idea bringing that in. So this is a, a good technique doing that, but it's more about listening than really talking. Yeah, using a Socratic method of like helping <laughs> uh, helping them discover that they need to uh, they need to implement security. You're also incredibly brave to it's like it's not it's definitely the right call, but incredibly brave to like let a pen test company just you know go wild in your environment. A lot of CISOs will say actually you know hold off here. We know we've got. Uh, we know we've got this big problem over here. Just you know, be gentle or ignore that yeah. because they don't want to. I suppose yeah, they they have a they have an ego as well, and they don't want to look bad or they they know they can improve in that particular area. Yeah, it's you can't dangerous. you can't do that everywhere. So if yeah. you do that in an, let's say critical infrastructure, maybe I wouldn't do that there. But if you have like a, a digital product running in the cloud, usually yeah. 
because it might happen either way. So uh, there, it's obvious to do that. Um, I want to touch a tiny bit more about uh, just like I suppose enabling those security, uh, the, 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 those security practices among those DevOps teams. Are there any things like uh, I suppose? I suppose any hacks in terms of like automation or others that allow you to get those, get the manual, the horrible points around security off your plate. I'm thinking about Lacework here, where Lacework does enable you to, you know, generate tickets automatically and allow you to move that a little bit faster. How, how do you how do you approach that problem when you're trying to deal with uh, deal with developers? So I think for developers, it's for me, for me, it was always like. Um, it need to it needs to be in their tools. Yeah. So um, we if we when we say sell lace work, it's a very we often look at the UI. But if we look at developers, it's the CLI and it's a Jira ticket or an Asana ticket or something like that. So it's more and maybe a Slack or Teams. And I'm more the Slack person, but yeah, 100%. Uh, um, uh, but in there, it's really keeping uh, or letting them stay in their environment, in their tools, so in their comfort zone. They don't like that jumping to another tool that's creating a friction and this is causing interruption, that's slowing down development, and that's bad for the business. So again, it's it's the link to the business. They need to ship fast. That's all that matters usually. So that's where you have to find ways to enable them shipping fast, but secure. So um, and it might be CLI, it might be integrations. So uh, best if you have something like Jira, if you have like bidirectional integrations, so it's, it's a great way so that you that they even don't have to change uh, to the security tool to close the ticket so that it's, it stays in their tools. Another thing is the alert fatigue. So mm-hmm. I mentioned that you don't want to deal with, with 50 alerts. You don't, you only want to have few alerts. So um, sometimes it's good to do less. Um, so if you, you if you introduce a tool, um, only I, I usually focused on few tools. So let's say if you take uh, Lacework for cloud security, there might be a, a, an additional vendor that is, that is doing the let's say A better, and then there might be an, another vendor that is doing D better. But having less vendors in there to manage is really important. So the, mm-hmm. the more you can get out of one tool, the better. Because switching from tool to tool is, again, creating friction. Again, we're slowing down everything. So I would try to just focus on few tools that bring you more value. And you're also like opening up more opportunities to make mistakes, right? Uh, so like, yeah, making allowing people to get frustrated, allowing people to switch between a whole lot of different tasks. It's not a, it's a process that, yeah, people will become frustrated with, or they'll become mind-numbingly bored yeah. with, and all of a sudden they're not going yeah. to. Uh, and and maybe there's there's one additional thing. Um, I usually compare it with with a, a fire sensor, um, a fire detector. So mm-hmm. we have a lot of tools in security that are doing three proactive security. So closing vulnerabilities, so reducing the attack vector. It's like in your house, if you remove uh, burnable material, you, yeah. you uh, and er- everything, but if there is a fire, only, only a detector, uh, a sensor can really detect the fire. So um, I would always urge to focus a lot on detection 
you can already detect even if you have burnable material in there. So we have all that shift left and many forget on the right side, there is that little thing to detect, detect things. That's just one little discipline, CWPP, uh, if you go to like the container and the agent. But uh, if you don't have that, you just don't detect any attacks. And that might be even more important than trying to, to close all the vulnerabilities uh, and misconfigurations. Um, like you've seen security evolve a huge amount. And obviously now with Lacework, we're seeing things shift to the cloud. But five, five years from now, what do you think security teams and security programs are going to look like? I think we will have more machine learning and okay. machine learning assisting uh, just as assisting. So doing analysis, if you if you look at it today, CM, uh, um, we, I think we will have a, a big move more to the cloud also because uh, like uh, big companies also move to the cloud, banks will move to the cloud. So we will have um, uh, like an explosion of data. And with that, you will only be able to deal with that with machine learning. So with uh, rules-based approaches, I don't believe that this will work. It's like the antivirus and EDR. So uh, it, it won't be there anymore. I believe that um, we will also see more um, machine learning assisted uh, code scanning tools. So everything will be code. I believe. So from not just like infrastructure code and also the application code, but also security policies as code. Um, so I think everything will be code. And then if you have a good uh, machine learning and a good automation, then you will, you will simplify security for security teams. And uh, we will see more decentralization of security. Maybe we'll be already there or going back to centralized security. Other than that, um, I wouldn't say that security has changed too much. Um, I mean, I'm very interested in seeing more machine learning for, for attack tools. So this is, this is something um, there, there is that there, there are these competitions. I forgot the name. There are like conference conferences for that. Um, and there was one where a, uh, computer with machine learning mayhem was competing to humans against others to really hack themselves so each other and then writing like defenses and i believe that we will see machine learning moving more and more into that direction so like uh, building up dynamic attacks based on machine learning but also then writing like the defenses so writing exploits from a machine learning or assisted by machine learning and also then writing defenses like virtual patching by machine learning. I think we might see these kind of technologies, um, but the, the, the weak factor will be still us as humans. This won't change. Yep, and we have to uh, have to do what we can, what we can with what we have. Uh, so make them more efficient and yeah, be the best partner that we can possibly be to uh, to the business. Uh, Andy, I've really enjoyed this conversation, but unfortunately, that's all we're going to have time to cover today. And um, if people want to follow your journey and keep up with you, where should they go? They should go to LinkedIn. So I'm sadly not able to keep up on uh, Twitter uh, uh, or other tools. So it's just it's just LinkedIn. It's there, Andreas Schneider, um, uh, and uh, at Lacework. So 
if you look for Andreas Schneider and Lasework, you will find me. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for coming on and we hope to have you on again in the future. Thank you, Thomas. It was a pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Future of Security Operations podcast by Tynes. If you enjoyed today's show, please do us a favor and leave us a review on Apple Podcast or your preferred podcast platform. For additional episodes, visit tynes.com slash podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about how Tynes Automation Platform can transform your security operations team, visit tynes.com. Thanks again, and I'll catch you on the next episode.